Welcome to EPRI Unplugged, the podcast of the Electric Power Research Institute. I'm Amy Mills. Thanks for joining me today as we journey into a discussion on electric vehicles, specifically creating a North American infrastructure to support them. My guest is Dan Bowermaster, EPRI Program Manager for Electric Transportation, whom I'm actually able to talk to in person while he's in Charlotte from our West Coast office in Palo Alto, California. Dan, thanks for sitting down with me. Thank you very much, Amy. Now, you took advantage of air travel, obviously, to make this trip, but what if you could drive it in an electric vehicle? How close are we to seeing that become a reality? Well, <laughs> you know, most of us value time, so pretty much anyone's going to hop on an airplane uh, to get it from coast to coast. But you can, you can drive across the, the country today in, in an electric vehicle. Um, you know, te- Tesla, for example, has put in uh, quite a few high power charging stations. So people have done it in Teslas and they've set different records. And, you know, also in their different types of electric vehicles, they're the kind that have smaller batteries, then also have kind of a regular gas hybrid backup motor. And, uh, you know, you can drive across the country like you would in a gas car, which, you know, I've done a few times. It's fun. Um, but that was a different stage in my life. Now it's a little different. So, you know, basically, I guess the short answer would be you can do it today uh, in a Tesla pretty much like you would in a normal car. And there are, I mean, we're coming up on maybe, what, 45 different models being on the market. Mm-hmm. Unless you have a Tesla, you might be a little bit more limited. I think people think of electric vehicles as maybe living in a city and making short journeys. On average, what kind of mileage are we seeing from electric vehicles? All, all the the first thing, I mean, that's a great question. The first thing is uh, that number, the 45 changes uh, uh, changes daily. In fact, now the number is 46 after uh, Toyota's well, announcement this week. So, um, yeah, you know, they kind of fit into different buckets. Uh, the, the ones on the market right now are about 100, 120 mile range car um, for the the ones that are coming out, you know, an uh, hour in the next uh, six months. What is very exciting in, in the industry is we're starting to see the rise of the kind of, think of it as the mass market uh you know, 200, 240 mile range car. In fact, uh, General Motors is building their Bolt EV as we speak in Detroit, and it's supposed to be in uh, West Coast dealerships here around Thanksgiving. So that's a 240 mile range car that stickers at about 37 grand. And once you include the tax rebate from the feds, you know, that's $30,000 car that goes 240 miles. So uh, then there are more, we can talk if uh, we can talk more about others um, that are coming, but uh, it's pretty exciting to see these cars hit the market. Part of your area of research is looking at what it would take to create an integrated network of utility-owned, behind-the-meter charging stations across the U.S. and Canada. What have you found in looking into that? Well, you know, if you look across the country, the, the answer is actually fewer than fewer than you uh, you might need. You know, right now, uh, you know, charging stations, this gets a bit technical, but basically charging stations charge at about uh, 50 kilowatts, which, you know, to refuel a, a, car, a, a car that's on the market now, their battery, and for example, ours, it takes about 15, 20 minutes, which is, you know, a little longer than getting gas. But if, you know, if you're at a, a gas station stop, and especially if you're with the kids and run everybody through the washroom and get cleaned up and maybe grab a Coke, you know, the car, the car is done before we are anyway. So um, when you're talking about a network, you know, you might only need them every 50, 75, 100 miles. And then you can almost imagine like a charging plaza where you have, um, you know, various degrees of, of, of different types of charging. You're kind of paying for speed. If you're, if you're in a rush, you pay for the, the super premium speed. If you're in less of a rush, you, pay, you might pay something else. And if you're in no rush at all, you might pay a different price. I mean, that's kind of how I vision of the future. So it's not necessarily, you know, everyone's going to um, be charging at super high power all the time. It might also depend on, on where you're at. You know, uh, for example, uh, 
a charging station in the middle of uh, the country where you're basically trying to get from point A to point B, you know, across the across the state or get to the next state might be different than, say, a charging station that um, serves a more urban, uh, like a city. Basically, if, if you live in a condo or don't have um, off-street parking, you might use a kind of a lower power uh, charging plaza. So I think it's really going to depend. But, I mean, the, the short answer is, is yeah, you probably need fewer fewer than you might think. So charging plaza is the new gas station. I could see that, especially especially uh, again, like in between, uh, you know, out out in uh, out in the Great Plains or places like that where the distances are wide and the you know the population is pretty, um, you know, low density. I can definitely see a you know charging plaza type thing. Okay, now in California, there are three investor-owned utilities who are going through some pilot testing on building up that infrastructure. Now, California is a great example because there's a goal there of reaching 1.5 million zero emission vehicles on the road by 2025. So that means in less than a decade, going from about 2,600 charging stations to as many as 200,000. So big increase. What are some of the specific issues that they're looking at in these pilot projects? Well, the pilots are pretty exciting because they're all slightly different and they're really trying to do a couple things. A, support, obviously, just the market as it grows. Um, and they're all kind of taking a slightly different look at it. Uh, right. You know, we, the data doesn't really exist, at least in any widespread form to know what combination of, um, charging. I mean, you can, you can kind of think of charging as a pyramid. You have your home charging as the base and that's where most charging gets done. Again, if you have off street parking and there's charging at work, uh, which is the next level of the pyramid. And those two kind of areas, um, are about 80 to 90% of your charging again depends on the on the individual. But the top, the public charging is also necessary. It's needed for safe public safety, it's needed to go long distances, and it's obviously needed for those who don't have uh, access to workplace or uh, home charging. And so when you start to think about the different ways to look at that, yes, you know, you a, a lower uh, a lower power, you know, charging box at home or at work works great because your car, and this number kills me, car sits around 20 plus hours a day at home and work. Um, but then there are those times on the weekends, you're running errands, you go to grandma's house, you want to take a road trip that well, you definitely need these, you know, these um, public charging to top off. Or if you're driving long distances, again, you know, the high power DC fast charging. And so what the, the different California utilities are looking at are different ways, to, uh, these pilots are looking at different ways to basically support their customers. Um, and again, none of them are claiming to have the right answer. And Everyone realizes the broader stakeholder community, we're, we're trying to get data on, trying to figure out what the right combination is. Um, for example, on one extreme, Southern California Edison is doing um, what's basically you can think of it. They're, they're paying for all the utility and construction costs up to the, like, up to the uh, concrete pad. And then the site host, whether that's a coffee shop or a rest stop or a shopping mall or a business, what have you, then we'll pay for the actual charging station. And then it's the responsibility of the that site host, again, shopping mall, restaurant, et cetera, to make sure it's working and it's clean and safe and well-lit and all that. And then there's also uh, the next part is that um, Southern California has, has a list of approved charging stations with a rebate attached to it that makes it easy on their, their customer, the site host, to kind of pick from this list of approved stations. So that's one extreme. The other extreme, and that's been approved by the Public Utilities Commission. The other extreme is um, San Diego Gas and Electric, their neighbor to the south, is looking at more of a um, utility uh, kind of controlled and operated um, uh, charging pilot where they um, will still, if, I mean, this, they'll still similarly offer a um, 
you know, they are going to offer an RFP to different folks who want to provide the charging stations as well as to do the maintenance. But ultimately, it's the utility's responsibility to, A, make sure they're installed and working and all that for the customers. And San Diego's really ties into um, the grid. And, you know, California and other places around are, have uh, an increasing amount of renewables, wind and solar. So what they're trying to do with and San Diego is with their pilot tests, if they provide price signal to their customers, how does that impact their behavior? Especially when you think about like high solar days or high wind days, you know, if they give someone a, a day ahead pricing, um, how do they react? Um, you can also think of the, of the, of the opposite where, you know, those hot summer days where the grid's overtaxed, if San Diego sends out a price signal saying, Hey, tomorrow oh, we're expecting high demand in the afternoon, it's going to be, you know, between say three and seven, it's going to be expensive and the price will be this, you can still charge your car. You can always charge, but you know, that price signal, they're going to get some data on like, how much does that impact customer charging? Um, and that's also been approved by the utility commission. The third one, Pacific Gas and Electric is a little bit different. Uh, they're sim more similar to San Diego. The fact that they're going to, um, uh, it's going to be, you know, P uh, utility owned and operated uh, equipment again. So it's their responsibility to make sure it's running. Uh, however, they're also going to contract out, um, you know, to actually with the free market to provide the, the charging box and the, and the service. Um, what's a little bit different about PG&E is they are focused. We talked. We started off talking about the DC fast charging. Theirs is different than the other two, and they have a, a DC fast charging component. So they'll be installing a few, um, a couple hundred of those, and you know, again, making sure they're installed and are working, and then collecting data on usage and 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 things like that. So those are the three different utilities. Uh, PG&E's has not been approved yet by the uh, P California Public Utilities Commission. They're expecting a decision by the end of the year, but we all, we, you know, we, well, we're looking forward to that. <laughs> so, I mean, you mentioned the Utility Commission. From a regulatory perspective, what is the California Public Utilities Commission going to be interested in as they work through phase one and phase two of these projects? Well, it's pretty, pretty exciting to see. The different state agencies are heavily involved and heavily coordinating with each other to help make um, Governor Brown's, um, you know, ZEV mandate uh, and his action plan a reality. So the utility, definitely, the, you know, since the Public Utility Commission uh, regulates the utilities, they um, are taking a very strong role in helping enable the market. Um, no one is claiming, and nobody knows right now, what it's going to take to support the vehicles, but you definitely need, you know, and especially to those customers who don't have, don't have parking, you need some kind of safe, reliable, um, and easy to use, you know, public infrastructure to support electric vehicle charging, both for those without the garages as well as long distance travel. It sounds like you've outlined three very different business models that these utilities are looking at. What do you think other utilities around the country are going to be kind of watching as these advance? You know, there are a lot of questions. Uh, usage, for one. Uh, how often are these used? What do people pay? You know, they're kind of five uh, business models for owning charging infrastructure. Um, one would be a city or a county could own it like a street light. It's basically, you know, for most free or at least the costs are socialized. You can offer it as a, um, if you're a, if you're an employer, you can offer it just as an employee benefit, workplace charging, kind of like a gym or a co free coffee. It's like we also offer charging. If you're a private company, you can do it. Um, you can offer, the third business model would be if you want to try to earn some money off, um, you know, the actual sale of electricity or the related services to electric vehicle charging, meaning you install a charging station, has a certain amount of cost, and then you charge a price and offer services and, you know, you make money off that. The fourth way would be if you really, if you 
I won't say how you have it as a loss leader, but you're less concerned about the actual profits from the station, but you want to use it to attract customers. And what I mean by that is, say you have a hamburger restaurant, um, fast food restaurant, and you want people to stop at yours versus the, the, other, the other guy kitty corner from you. You put in a chart, bunch of charging stations and you attract people. It's less about, you know, selling more electrons. It's more about selling more burgers. And then the fifth way would be um, if you wanted to basically as a utility offer it. And again, nobody knows kind of we outline the California, you know, where does the utility role stop? But if you wanted to basically offer it, you know, as a basically a utility service for your customers. So, I mean, those are the different um, kind of five major business models. And then from a utility perspective, you know, back to your question about, well, you know, every utility, I shouldn't say every, but utilities vary quite a bit around the country size, kind of how they're regulated, what they own. Um, but, you know, they're looking to support their customers. They're, they're looking to uh, complete their and you know environmental goals that either their leadership or the state leadership has set or federal leadership for that matter, and they're looking to you know help meet that customer need and you know basically um, continue to provide that safe and reliable electricity while earning a rate of return on investment. And how do you think that what's happening in California with these pilot projects will inform the broader discussion about creating a North American infrastructure and really making this? making owning an electric vehicle accessible? Well, there's a lot of good news. So not only will, you know, the data that comes out of the project help inform, um, you know, where do people go? Where do people charge? Uh, you know, there's the, the utilities also as part of their pilots have formed um, stakeholder councils. So there's different ways to get input back into the process. Uh, utilities around the country are actually looking at this and acting on it. You know, to, they're putting infrastructure in the ground today. Uh, Kansas City Power and Light, for example, uh, in the Midwest, uh, Georgia Power, you know, the list kind of goes on and on and on. And 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 quite a few utilities are, are looking at this as well. So, you know, I the short it's not an either or as far as like, oh, is it the utilities or no one? It is the um, you know, if as we're looking at a national quote unquote network, it is how can the different stakeholders across the country band together and figure out how much is needed in what phases. And I think most importantly for all of us is how do we scale this in the most cost-effective way? And, and everyone has different opinions on, on, on what that means. But you know, I think one advantage that the utility financial model has is the rate of return is, 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 is a longer time frame than you know, maybe traditional, say, Wall Street type of you know, return on investment rate of return. So I think that's an advantage as far as if you think about it from a public good or what's the utility's role. It's like how can that basically the advantage of the utility financial reality help support this market you know who actually owns the charging box on the corner is going to vary from you know you know place to place and that's okay uh, but the idea is there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes work that has to go into making sure that you know the site gets ready and there's enough power and that it, it's operating things like that as part of your job how much do you interact with utility commissions and just educating and helping people understand what this entails well, as you can probably tell, I love talking about this stuff. So, <laughs> poor family over Thanksgiving gets to gets to hear it too. So, the uh, we do quite a bit um, informally and for, and and formally. For example, a few months ago, we were out talking to uh, at a public workshop in uh, in in the state of Maryland, talking to them about some of the research we've done, along with other stakeholders. You know, we've talked to um, regulators and in. in um, Kansas, and I've spoken at, at um, conferences that are organized by, um, it's called NARUC, they're basically the association, the National Association of U.S. Uh, regulators. So, I mean, as a not-for-profit that exists for the public good, I, I take that responsibility very seriously. Uh, EPRI, you know, we don't get involved in policy saying you should do X, or you should do Y, but we're glad to talk about the data, either what we've seen 
uh, as well as what we're um, we and other stakeholders are, are are currently working on using that to help inform the process. So it's it's uh, it's great. It's a great part of the job. And do you see a little bit of a chicken or the egg problem with electric vehicles? Do you think consumers will be more likely to invest when they know there's that existing infrastructure, or is consumer demand kind of driving mm-hmm. the infrastructure question? Yeah, I mean that literally is a multi-million dollar question. And if I, ha- I mean, I have my own opinion on on what I think, but uh, I think <clears throat> to get to the mass market, and you know, again, like it's one thing if you have your own garage because you can charge just like you charge your iPhone. I mean, uh, you know, my wife and I, we had, we've had two electric cars now, and it wasn't until a few months ago that we actually put in a special charging box. Before that, we just plugged into the wall just like you charge your iPhone. And I mean, it, charging your car is so easy. I mean, even our, our now four-year-old daughter, I mean, she's been doing it for a couple of years. You know, she <laughs> thinks it's great to hear that click and the light comes on. Um, but, you know, as far as chicken or egg, I think I think it's it's both. I mean, the, the cars are coming. There are, you know, we talked in the beginning, there are 46 cars that specific newer revised cars, electric cars that are going to hit the market between this year and 2020. So the cars are coming and the infrastructure needs to be there to, to support them. Um, infrastructure takes a variety of forms, obviously. It could be the charging box at work or at home or the you know the big charging plaza in public. So I think it needs to be both. To live with an electric car as a second car, you really only need an outlet at home and possibly at work um, or and or at work. I think when people start thinking, if, if you're like a one-car household, I think it's very different. You know, you definitely would not only, I would hypothesize, and I would love to see the data on this, that, you know, if a one-car family or individual would need a combination of charging, including public charging. So I think it, it takes both, you know. But again, going back to the, how do we scale this in the most cost-effective way possible? I think it needs to be done cautiously. So on a purely personal note, you mentioned having owned two electric vehicles. What would be your 20-second synopsis as an EV owner? It's awesome. It's awesome. People ask what it's like. I just talk about find an on-ramp, test drive a car early on a Sunday morning when the dealer opens if you've never driven one or buy your friends or buy your neighbors. Find an on-ramp and floor it. Actually, be careful because some electric cars you'll end up in the ditch. I mean, just the acceleration is awesome. And, uh, you know, it comes with a lot of other benefits. It's super quiet, super smooth. Um, you know, I'll be, I'll be on a, a, I was on a call with my brother the other day and he asked if I was at home or in the car cause it was, it was so quiet, you know? So there's a, there's a lot to be, um, I think there's a lot to be said for it. And it, again, like I mentioned, this is easy for the most part is just plug in, charging your, charging your phone. Um, you know, there are a lot of other benefits that people can get in your car. You can look at the cost. It's cheap, you know, it's cheaper than gas, more stable than gas. Uh, it's easy, you know. You don't have to go to the gas station anymore. Or not for the most part. Um, you know, one another example is with our current electric vehicle. It has a small gas engine as a backup, and we have about fifteen thousand miles on it. And we've only put in, we haven't even put in five gallons of gas. So, it, you know, it. The point is, is that it's like, oh, going to the gas station. I don't mind it. Some people hate it. The last time I went and got gas, actually, in our other car, I spilled gas all over my hands. Not good for me or the environment, but it's like that wasn't so cool. So I think, you know, it's just an, having an electric car is a pretty awesome experience. And it's pretty exciting that, you know, within the month, General Motors is going to have this 240-mile range, uh, you know, mass market car out. Tesla is coming out with their Model 3, similarly 215 miles. The next-gen Nissan Leaf is going to be 200 miles plus. Toyota yesterday announced they're going to have a 200-ish mile um, fully electric, you know, crossover crossover um, by 2020. So I, the point is, it's like, 
2020 used to seem like a really far away date, but now it's only a few years, you know, and you know, the, 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 the general motors, bolt EV, that'll be, uh, um, in dealers at the end of this month, at least on the West coast. So the point is, is that these cars are coming, you know, and, and they're priced such that the mass market can afford them. Well, and as you mentioned, this is something that seems to be changing almost on a daily basis. So hopefully we can have you back soon and we can talk about even more advancements in this area. I would be happy to. All right. Well, thanks for your time, Dan. Thank you very much. Until next time, we're shaping the future of electricity.